0: this is the on the banks podcast follow us on twitter at otb
1: underscore sb nation now here's your host lance glenn hello everyone i am of course your host lance glenn and this is episode 49 of the on the banks podcast our game five rutgers football preview you can follow me on twitter at lance underscore g11 and of course you can follow on the banks on twitter as well At OTB underscore SB Nation. There are many ways to listen to this episode and every episode of the On the Banks podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Just search On the Banks podcast. And of course, you can find all of our podcasts and so much more great content by going to onthebanks.com. I am so excited to bring you episode 49. I will be joined on the episode by Emily Giambalvo, Maryland athletics reporter for the Washington Post. And by NJ.com's Steve Politi. So, folks, the inevitable finally happened. Chris Ash was fired as Rutgers head football coach by Pat Hobbs, and now Pat Hobbs is looking for a new leader of the program. In addition, John McNulty was also let go in what was a little bit of a surprise move, and Nunzio Campanelli was named the interim head coach going forward. First off, if you want to hear not only my reaction to the firing, But on the bank's managing editor Aaron Brightman's opinion as well, make sure to listen to episode 48 as we provided our thoughts only hours after the firing was announced. While I certainly chimed in during episode 48, I thought it would be best to give my thoughts one more time here as well, and now my pick for the new head coach. Now, this is nothing against Chris Ash. it just didn't make sense to keep him, I think, for the rest of the year. I was at the Michigan game, I flew down to Ann Arbor, it was a fun trip, besides the game of course, and frankly, I was embarrassed by the product that Chris Ash put out there. You know, I even had Michigan fans, and this is no joke, I had Michigan fans come to me and my friends afterwards as we were dressed in our Rutgers gear, and actually apologize for the performance. They weren't apologizing sarcastically, they were all very serious in their apologies. Sure, you know, I'm a little surprised Pat Hobbs made the move when he did with 8 games remaining. But I can't say I wouldn't have done the same thing. A change was needed, and a change is what we got. Now, Coach Campanelli takes over, and the administration has the opportunity and has plenty of time to find its next leader. To me, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree, but to me, there's only one man that makes sense to be the next leader. Sure, some want him and some don't, and you know more opinions are going to come out as the days go by. People look at his record in the first four years during his time here of 12 and 34, while ignoring the record in his seven years after of 56 and 33. People love to bring up the common question, well, what did he actually win? And of course, people love to say the Big East is not the Big Ten. And while there is, of course, some truth to that, there is also truth to this. The only reason Rutgers football was ever relevant was because of Greg Schiano, and no one can deny that. The only coach that has injected any excitement into this program since Frank Burns in the 70s and early 80s is Greg Schiano, and frankly, no one can deny that. The only coach to recruit to the level we Rutgers fans want our program to recruit at on a yearly basis is Greg Schiano, and no one can deny that. I get it. He hasn't been a head coach in a few years, but are you telling me his time in the NFL as an NFL head coach is a negative? Are you telling me his time as the defensive coordinator at Ohio State under Urban Meyer is a negative? Are you really sitting there and telling me recruits don't know who Greg Schiano is? And are you telling me that just because he was the coach here once means he can't be the coach here again? Are you really sitting there and telling me that? Well, that is nonsense. There has been one man in the last 30 years to make this program relevant on a national stage, and that is Greg Schiano. I get it. Some people want someone new. I, I get that. I understand and I appreciate the debate. But it's not a bad thing to go back to what worked because we have seen that it worked before. No coach, not Butch Jones, not Lance Leipold, Patton Arduzzi, Jason Candle, Joe Moorhead, or anyone else, name a name. Nobody will reinvigorate and reinstill hope into Rutgers fans like Greg Schiano will. Frankly, and I'm sure it's obvious by what I've said, there is no reason I believe why Greg Schiano should not return and be the next head coach of Rutgers football.
0: Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn.
1: Joining me to discuss everything that has happened with Rutgers football this week and to look at the program now moving forward is NJ.com's Steve Politi. Steve, as always, thanks for joining me once again and for coming on the podcast.
0: Lance, I, I don't understand what happened with the program.
1: Today. <laughs> you know,
0: I'm confused. You know, Are you sure?
1: So much happened, Steve, but none of it really surprised me because to me, it all seemed inevitable. So I just look at it as the inevitable happened, you know, Chris Ash He was fired from his position as head coach, not even a midseason firing after the 52-0 loss to Michigan as there's still more than half the season to go. We all knew it was coming. It was just a matter of when it was going to happen. Specifically about the firing of Ash alone, what is your opinion on the timing and, and just the decision to do it with still eight games left in the 2019 year?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously think it was the right decision that the program he could he could have had another three four years and it wasn't going to change. This is just the direction of the program under him. He, he's had ample ample opportunities to change that trajectory. It just hasn't happened. Uh, if anything, you can question whether or not uh, you know Pat Hobbs was right to keep him on for another uh, you know. It's just everyone kind of knew what was happening here when you went to one eleven last year and you saw the results that this program wasn't progressing. So you waited another eight months to make the decision that set the program back, and now you you know you're essentially flushing the season away with an interim coach. So I mean I I don't know I I, I'm not uh, I'm not surprised it happened. Uh, I I'm a little I will say this I'm a little surprised just given Rutgers' history that we're talking about a a coaching change this early in the season where you're giving you know giving away eight million dollars just incredible. Compared to, you know, where this has been all over the years. So that said, you know, that's different, but overall I think it's the right call.
1: So I think Steve, one of the big mistakes Chris Ash made was that first coaching staff, you know, all young guys with few, if any, New Jersey ties, and the youth of that group, I think, resulted in constant change in the coaching staff, specifically on offense. Do you believe that the Ash era was at risk when it first started because of the error that were those first coaching hires?
0: Yeah, no question. I I do believe he thought he could just bring in his guys and it didn't matter where they were and he was going to take an Ohio State approach to it. And and, and yeah, I think that's clearly what happened. You know, if you think about just Anthony Campanelli alone, you know, this is a guy who, you know, he he could have – he was on the staff there. They didn't didn't offer him a full-time job. They let him go essentially to Boston College. Uh, you know, when he could you now look at him now, he's, he's at, at Michigan. He's a star. He's a rising recruiter. Everyone kind of covets him. Uh, just mistakes like that were were really telling. And I think that goes back to the idea that that Chris Ash did not recognize what a challenge this program was compared to you know, where he could come from. He'd just always been at places where it was very easy to win, and that was not the case here. And uh, I think he was a, a bad fit from the start, not that he's a bad coach or a bad person. He's neither of those two things, just a bad fit for this place.
1: So, Steve, I think what surprised that many Rutgers fans wasn't Chris Ash getting fired, but the firing of John McNulty as well. You know, obviously the offense struggled, but many, including myself, thought he would be the interim uh, head coach for the remainder of the year. Did you have a similar opinion in that regard? And although the struggles, were you surprised to see McNulty go as well?
0: Yeah, I was very surprised, and only be, and it's funny. I don't think he had to be the interim coach. I just thought that the offense had made some progress under John. I mean, and I know they didn't go. It's, it, believe me, the bar's on the ground. They didn't score a point in their first two Big Ten games, but. There are a couple of instances where Art Sikowski, who was terrible his freshman year, just, you know, looked like a, looked like a college quarterback. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, I, I think that's part of – you have to give you know, McNulty some credit for that. Uh, and the other part about that that I, I wondered about, you know, when you take Nunzio Campanile and you're, and you're looking at this and you're thinking, OK, well, you know, he's now the interim coach and he's got all of the responsibility of holding this program together, which is tough enough as it is. Now you're asking him to game plan for Iowa State and you're asking him for the, 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 you know, to you know, to make the offense better. I mean, it's just a lot on the guy's plate. And I, I thought that for alone, that reason alone was enough to want to keep another adult in the building like, like McNulty, who's obviously, you know, been in the NFL, been a coach at Rutgers for a long time. So I was very surprised by that.
1: When Nunzio Campanelli, and you just mentioned him so it's a good transition, when Nunzio Campanelli was named the interim head coach, the first thought that popped to my head was that this was a move signaling that whoever becomes the next full time head coach will have Coach Campanelli on staff either as a position coach or as offensive coordinator. Do you think that Coach Campanelli is looked at as someone who has a spot in this program going forward, regardless of who the leader is?
0: I do, but I will caution against this. And I think there there are people who think that, you know, that he is gonna be there and he should be there and he's young coach and i get it but you just don't want to be in a position where you're telling someone who you're trying to hire you know an established head coach well here you know i'm going to dictate your staff and i get it like i understand that whoever comes in if greg shannon's the new head coach joe moorhead whoever it might be should be smart enough to look at this and say okay well yeah i want i want that guy i want that's on my staff from for here for, for a long list of reasons they'll be smart enough to figure out and that, that out on their own if you start dictating that as at the search committee, as with Pat Hobbs, I just think it's a mistake, and I, I don't know if that's the direction it's going in. But it is worth you know remembering that the head coach should be, be able to pick his own staff, especially if you're hiring a guy uh, with experience who you trust.
1: I want to ask about the Michigan game for a little bit. You know, one positive to take out of these last two games, for records, has been the play of Art Sitkowski. Of course, the offense has struggled, but I don't blame many of those struggles on Art. He's starting to at least in my eyes look like a guy who can be the quarterback for this program long term. What do you think of his play the last two games against Boston College and Michigan?
0: Yeah, you know, and I thought that was I was very surprised and I was I was one of the people who watched him last year and wondered, okay, well, he has a great arm, he's got, you know, he's got uh, all the tools you would think you would need for uh, for a college quarterback. I I just you just didn't see him reading defenses. You saw him throwing into coverages. You saw him, you know, just making mistakes, holding the ball too long. Uh, I just wondered if he would be able to to make an improvement. I thought against the Boston College, certainly he looked like a much better quarterback. Accuracy-wise, you know, he was hitting his targets uh, three new yards. I mean, when was the last time Marcus threw for three new <laughs> yards? It yards? It was a borderline miracle to see that. Last week against Michigan, a much tougher defense. Again, the kid is the toughest kid on the team, just getting crushed, crushed again and again by blitzing, by, you know, they didn't protect him at all. And, uh, you know, I think that's part of the reason why he hasn't progressed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's took, taking steps forward. I think there's some promise there. I think if you get the right protection, you get the right receivers, Rucker still doesn't have a, you know, real downfield targets for him to throw to. Uh, all of that said, I think that, you know, he is a guy who you hope – you really hope, and I, I don't know if he'll stay, you hope he's a guy who is in the program when the next coach takes over next year.
1: Steve, I want to get your opinion on this next statement. You know, I think 52 nothing Saturday was worse than 78 nothing, and I'll tell you why. You know, year one, while it was a blowout, this team and staff, it had no expectations, and frankly, a loss that big wasn't all that shocking when you really look at it. When Chris Ash was hired, we expected by year four – that he would have this program in the Indiana, the Minnesota, the Purdue range, where they wouldn't necessarily go to Ann Arbor and win, but they would look competitive and respectable and would score some points, you know, maybe lose 42-17 or 35-14, 35-17. How would you compare the two losses? Do you think that while Michigan didn't score as much, that 52 nothing was just as bad, if not worse, than 78 nothing a couple years ago?
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And, and this is the other point to make about that. Uh... Seventy-eight, nothing was largely a product of the fact that Chris Ash had brought in Drew Marringer and was going to run this really up-tempo, fast-paced spread offense. That he did not have any near, near the personnel for. He didn't have the players to do this, uh, and it was it backfired. And you know they were, you know they were down whatever the score was, twenty-nine, nothing, and hunting the ball after 11 seconds you know. so you know now when you look at what happened they realized that that was not going to work so this is this is even the worst result in a lot of ways because of that very reason that they you know they were trying to hold the ball more trying to control the clock and still couldn't do it and this is and this is my, my my pal Keith Sargent wrote this and I think this is really telling just the idea that it's still not a big 10 team because of what's up front in the trenches and you're just getting dominated on both lines of scrimmage you can't block them you can't rush the passer you know no matter what. Scheme you had as chris as the defensive coach if you can't pressure the pressure the quarterback you're toast and that's what you saw again and, and michigan do anything could do anything it wanted same thing as iowa it's it, you know that was just a, a recipe and that's why i think you know nuncio camp and hills could have a hard time you know for the same reason so um you know it, it's just a personnel deal and it just speaks to uh, the failures uh, at the top
1: we talked about the inconsistencies on the coaching staff as one of the downfalls of Chris Ash's career here at Rutgers, but looking back at his overall tenure, are there two or three things that you kinda of pinpoint that really made you scratch your head and wonder why it happened or why Coach Ash decided to do things a certain way?
0: You know, I think number I think number one obviously is just not having just not having a guy just having a team of people who could recruit new jersey just not not acknowledging that was important and i think that was you know he had come in here and thought he could just do a reputation alone it just didn't it just didn't work that's number one number two you know not having an offensive philosophy and i i, I understand the Rutgers fans who are very adamant about one have wanting to have a guy who can establish that who this is what we're going to do on offense and this is i have proven this i've done this in other places it worked in other places here's what we're going to do you know and Rutgers has not had that in many years and you know you go from Drew Maringer the spread to whatever Jerry Kill was doing give him credit I mean they won four games that year to you know John McNulty's back to the pro style to okay well John McNulty's getting pro style was spread out, you spread out you know the whole thing it was just one every year there was a different element to what they were trying to do offensively and it didn't work so those two things uh are important and you know <laughs> I mean, just just you want a guy, you want a guy like Steve Peichel, and I'm going to say this, and you know, Steve Peichel might not win here. I don't know if he's going to in the basketball team, but it's a guy who gets it in the in the standpoint of like, I have got to work the crowd, I've got to be out, you know, in the community, I've got to shake the right hands, I've got to be more than just the guy drawing up X's and O's. And it's just important at a place like Rutgers to to build that level of support and to understand that, you know, there's just a unique job that is not going to be a place where you can just come in and coach football. Uh, and Chris Ash didn't embrace that. And I think that's one of the problems, one of the reasons he got fired. It was just that if he was a bad coach who everyone liked, he might have had a shot. But he was a bad coach who didn't do the little things around the program that mattered.
1: Steve, a couple more before I let you go. First, I want to get your prediction for this Saturday. Maryland actually lost worse than Rutgers did. They lost to Penn State 59 nothing. Again, as I said, worse than the Michigan debacle for Rutgers. Who do you think, with the two teams coming off big losses, who do you think comes out victorious on Saturday?
0: Yeah, you know, I've, I have spent like three minutes thinking about this, to be honest, you know, it's just like, you know, everything unraveled with the, with the team and firing Ash, and, you know, and I honestly like, oh my gosh, they've got a game this weekend. That's, uh, I got to pay attention to that. You know, I think, I, I my, my impression is based on the first couple of games of the year that Maryland has more talent, uh, and, you know, again, all of the uncertainty you're asking a lot, you know, not changing things in the offense. I think it's going to be hard. This team hasn't scored, you know, more than 17 points in forever. I just, I just can't, uh, I can't foresee a scenario where they're suddenly going to just, the light's going to go off and they're going to be a better offensive team. So I think Maryland probably by, the line was 14 and a half, I'm guessing by 20 or 17.
1: So Steve, last one before I let you go. We've heard the names, Greg Schiano, Butch Jones, Lance Leipold, Jeff Munkin, Joe Moore, had others, and I'm sure more are going to come out early on from Rutgers fans. There have certainly been a lot of opinions on who should be the guy to try bringing this program back to competitiveness. Do you have an early prediction or an early pick for the guy that you think should be the next Rutgers football head coach?
0: Yeah, no, I don't I don't have a prediction, but I have a pick. I think you know, I think they should just go back to Greg Ciano. I think they should, you know, accept that this is the one guy who has done this well, who has recruited the state. Uh, and and everyone who says, Well, gee, he didn't do well on Saturdays as a tactician is, you know, his defenses didn't stop the spread. I get all these things. I understand it. Like there are a lot of frustration. I was there for all these games. I understand that on Saturdays he was a frustrating guy, but I think you're you're at the point now where you need someone who can build the program. You need someone who can recruit. You need someone who can win over fans. You need someone who can electrify the fan base. All these things that are, you know, are really important beyond just the guy who's going to, you know, be standing there on the sidelines on Saturday. And, and uh, Shanna's got the most proven track record of, and I'm going to put the asterisk, of the realistic options. And I think there's there's something within the fan base now where people are like, okay, well, what about, you know, Rex Ryan, what about Urban Meyer? What about you know, just throwing out these names? You're like, no, they're not gonna come here. Just stop. Um you know, I think of people who make sense for the program. He's number one. You know, if they can get a guy like Joe Moorhead out of Mississippi State who's an offensive guy, okay, great, but that's gonna be harder. You know, I think after that is gonna be after that, I have not heard a name where the press conference isn't gonna be a sales job. That's the best I can say. Like, if you're not going to hire Shiano and you're not going to hire Joe Moorhead and you're going you're gonna to try to find somebody like Lance Aphold, like, you know, again, when the Mac coach of the week, you're going to have to sell it. And that's going to be interesting to see if Ed can do it.
1: What are you, not a uh, Jeff Munkin supporter like your colleague uh, James Cratch? I saw him obviously write an article, um, you know, promoting and trying to persuade Rutgers fans that maybe the triple option is the way to go here in Piscataway.
0: I don't think, and I will. I, don't, I thought it was really it was a really great column, and and there's some I, some ideas in there that make sense. But I just do not think the triple option would work when you're playing Ohio State and Michigan State, Penn State every year. It's just hard to get. And if that worked in that level, Oklahoma wouldn't have been handed it. You know, <laughs> I mean, and I get it. It's just maybe you, it did work in terms of tech, but I think the Big Ten is just a different animal.
1: Steve Politi of NJ.com. Steve, as always, appreciate the time and thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
0: No problem Lance glad to do it.
1: To discuss Rutgers opponent this week the Maryland Terrapins, I am now pleased to be joined by the University of Maryland Athletics reporter for the Washington Post Emily Giambalvo. Emily, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and giving me some of your time today.
2: Yeah, thanks
1: for having me. So Emily, the Mike Loxley era started off so well, 2 and 0, averaged over 70 points per game, and I believe they were even ranked after the Syracuse win. You know, since then 0 and 2 17 total points in the last two games against Temple and Penn State. What's been going on with Maryland these last two games? What's to blame for the struggles the last two?
2: Yeah, it's been it's been wild. Um, there was so much buzz and excitement around the program after the, the Syracuse win, and then it's all spiraled downhill since. And I think really what's been most concerning was that for as good as the offense looked, the first two games obviously like you said averaging more than 70 points a game um it it looked barely functional um in the last two and especially uh, against penn state this weekend so so i think it's a, a major point of concern it's it's all around issues um with with not being able to protect Josh Jackson, with Josh Jackson uh, just being off, and and really Maryland hasn't sustained drives well at all, and, and they were they were lucky to be in the the Temple game as much as they were, and still have chances uh, to win late. Um, but it, it's been a it's been a bad couple of weeks for Maryland, and, and it's, they're going to have to figure out what's what's going wrong there on offense and, and fix it
1: soon. What's the general mood uh, in College Park surrounding this team? Because like we said, it was one of excitement. and Then the last two games happened. And all that excitement dissipates. What's the mood of the fans right now?
2: Yeah, it's been a wild swing. Um, I, it felt like after Syracuse, people went crazy, thinking like, "Oh my gosh, like this has actually changed. It's changed quickly. Maybe this team can win eight games." You know, like you really start to people were really starting to buy into that. Um, And I think obviously now we are starting to know a little bit more about Syracuse because Syracuse was ranked at the time too. So it was like not only did Maryland look great, but they they looked great against a a number 21 ranked team. Um, That's changed a good bit in the the last few weeks. And then now after Penn State, I think now you have people wondering almost if it's time to push panic and how many more wins can can this team get. Uh, Bowl eligibility seems... I think that would exceed what I'm expecting at this time. I still think this is probably a 4-5 or five win team. Um, but yeah, it's it's swung in a drastic way that, that I feel like you don't usually get over the course of a season, and, and especially over the course of a month um, of a season.
1: Do you think this, at least the, the first two games, have kind of helped... Bring some buzz a little bit to the program because obviously Maryland is a program that has struggled in the past with attendance and just with overall juice surrounding it. Do you think, you know, at least those two games, and like you said, you know, we've seen what Syracuse really is the last couple games, but it was still a ranked win when it happened. Do you think, you know, the fan base has at least grown a little bit or has gotten a little bit excited after those first two games, even with the two losses since?
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always a little hard to judge, but I feel like I can even get somewhat of a sense of, of that based on just people emailing and and engaging with stories and stuff like that. And it it felt like, um, it was certainly at a high after the Syracuse game and, and then Temple was on the road and then Penn State was back at home and, and it was a sellout. Um, the student section at Maryland is usually abysmal. I mean, it, like Maryland just cannot fill that stadium, um, for anything. And then on Friday night, it, again, it was a Friday night game, which probably changes things, um, as opposed to a noon Saturday game, but, but it was packed. It was, I mean, it was loud. It was exciting. Like it just felt like a big time. I mean, I don't know if we can say big time college football, but, but it felt like a, one of those big games. Um, and then by halftime, uh students had left and it was kind of almost like back to reality so I'm I'm a little curious to see how that changes um or if that changes next time Maryland's at home and and I think that kind of even ups the importance of the Rutgers game because it's like if they want to try to sustain that buzz they built heading into Penn State then then they certainly can't lose um at Rutgers and if you know I'm sure they would want to uh win in a way that spark some confidence because there there
1: hasn't been a lot of that in in the last two games so Emily let's talk about some players now this team has gone really as Josh Jackson has first two games they win he has seven touchdowns one interception the last two they lose he has one touchdown and three interceptions what do you make of his up and down play so far why the consistency early on or why the inconsistency early on I should say
2: yeah I mean I guess the the this Gary Reason could probably just be the the level of defense um you know Temple's a good team and and has a good defense and and obviously Penn State um is good so so I worry um that those last two are, are more indicative of what he's going to do going forward um but in those first two games like he looked he looked so good and reliable um Maryland really struggled establishing any sort of a pass game last year and watching those first two games you were almost like oh my gosh this doesn't even feel like the same team like like he didn't miss receivers he didn't really turn the ball over like it was just everything you want out of a good reliable quarterback it's not like he's going to be one of the best ones in the conference but it was like you know he's exactly what Maryland needs and then these last two games it's it's like you know he hasn't gotten into a rhythm at all you know there's never been a sustained. You know, there were some flashes, but it's like he hasn't really been able to sustain um, a sense of rhythm over the course of multiple drives. And, and both of his opening drives in the last two games have ended, ended in interception. So it's just kind of like bad from the get-go and never really gets quite on track. So, so I think, you know, that's something Lashley said after the game. He was like, I, as a coach, have to figure out how to give confidence to this quarterback in this offense. Like, you know, something is up that he's not going out there feeling like things are going to go well. And, um, and that really has shown the last two weeks. And I'm curious kind of if Maryland tries to make changes with, with play calling or whatever it may be, I don't think there will be a quarterback change. Um, they just don't have better options, but, but I, I think Maryland's success is going to be quarterback driven. Um, And Josh Jackson, like, when we talked to him before the Penn State game, he sounded really confident. Like, he sounded like, oh, no, that was one of the worst games of my career against Temple, but, like, I'm not worried. Like, it's going to be fine. Um, So, we'll see how that pans out, and and I really do think that is going to determine what this offense can do.
1: So, Anthony McFarland is the guy on the ground. Dante Demis leads the team in receiving. Are they the two most heavily relied on to make plays for the Terps, and what are some other names Rutgers fans should watch out for offensively for Maryland?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, Anthony McFarlane is really good. I, I, I think he's one of one of the best running backs in the country. I or I mean, in the conference, I'd probably say. But um, for him, it's also, though, that the same stuff we're talking about in the pass game. I think he needs a little bit out of the past game um, in order to to really thrive. Um, the running back Room in general is good. Um, Javon Leak is super quick, um, and I kind of really like what what he can do. He's a he's a really good number two um, option for Maryland. And then, like you said, Dante Demas, um has been has been, I think, the best tight end. Or I mean, the best uh, receiver this year. And and then the tight ends have been reliable. Um, Tyler Mabry and Chega Conquo. I've really liked what they've done. So so I think when when Maryland's offense is working. Well, you're going to see a lot of Anthony McFarland, Javon Leak, and then Dante Dimas, and then the tight ends get really involved, and Josh Jackson is thriving, and that's kind of the, this perfect scenario. Uh, but but there are there, there's a ton of talent um, at the skill positions, and and it really just depends on kind of being able to establish the offense early on.
1: So Maryland has shown the ability defensively to get to the passer this year. Keandre Jones leads leads the team with three and a half sacks. Antoine Brooks he leads. The team pretty significantly in tackles. Are they the two guys most relied on to lead this defense?
2: Yeah, I mean they're definitely two of the most important ones. I'd also probably add Shaq Smith to that list. He he doesn't show up as much um, in terms of sacks and stuff like that, but but he I think he's just as important. He's a transfer uh, from Clemson, and he and Keandre Jones have really just um, given the defense so much at the outside linebacker positions, and the defense has. Has looked good, and, and like you said, the the ability to affect the quarterbacks that's that's something that's been important to them as a group, and and they seem to be doing that. Maybe not as much so the last two weeks, especially um, against Penn State. But but Larksley has said kind of over and over that they they want to be an aggressive defense, they want to affect the quarterback, and, and they don't want to beep and don't break. They they want to you know get back there and apply pressure. So so I think I think they do have talent on that side of the ball too. It's kind of funny because when we start talking about what they have on offensive defense. Part of me is like, why is this team not not looking any better <laughs> Friday? Um, but you know, maybe that's another conversation. But but no, I agree. Andrew Jones, Jack Smith, and uh, Antoine Brooks—they—they all uh, have done really good things this year.
1: And what would you say is the biggest weakness this defense has? Where are they most vulnerable on that side of the ball?
2: Uh, I think it's the secondary. There there have been some issues um, with communication and the Temple game, and just some like like just sometimes not missing tackles, they, they were, I think Loxley called it awful um, in terms of tackling against Penn State, and, and there there have just been some breakdowns back there, um, so I would say if when a team has a quarterback who can who can really make those throws, that's when Maryland's going to struggle, and, and I think that's what we saw with uh, Penn State's quarterback, Sean Clifford had a, had a great day, um, and Maryland really could do nothing, um, nothing to stop him, and was, they were letting receivers you know once they made the catch to you know get an extra 10 yards or whatever it may be and and that was something they weren't doing um as much early in the year so that so that's been a pretty big issue the last two
1: weeks Emily a couple more before I let you go you know Rutgers fans they look at this game as sort of a litmus test basically every year to see how far the Scarlet Knights have come compared to Maryland since of course they joined the conference together do Maryland's do Maryland fans? Excuse me. Feel a similar way about the Rutgers game, or have they progressed enough already to where they just look at it as any other game?
2: Um, I mean, I guess this is just me because I, I was thinking about this today. Uh, I think this game is hugely important for Maryland after coming off such a horrible loss because I think this is what shows Maryland: Are you closer to Rutgers or are you closer to, you know, the higher tiers in, in the conference and and I I think it's probably closer to records, you know so so I think that's the type of litmus test this game is for Maryland I, I think you know Maryland wants to act like you know it, it's a solid step above um Rutgers but we all kind of know they're they're both down there in that same stratosphere the last you know since since the joined Maryland joined the conference so um yeah I, I think it's important in that regard I think if Maryland goes out and wins 52 to zero or you know something like that then then maybe that shows okay there's they're a clear step ahead. But if it's a close game, if Marilyn can't like get out in front super early and and look good, then then I think that's concerning um, for the fan base because it it will kind of be a reminder that you know just how far this program has to go and, and that you know it's it's far closer to the low tier than it is the the high tier
1: now before i get your prediction for the game on saturday i saw dj turner i don't believe he played against penn state uh, i saw maybe dy um other you know uh, there are other things off the field that he has to deal with uh prior to coming back on the field how big is his loss do you see him playing potentially on saturday and if he's unable to play again how big is the loss of dj turner for maryland
2: Ooh, um, I don't know. We'll know more hopefully this week. Um, my guess would be he doesn't play. Um, I, you know, I feel like this is the type of thing that's certainly a, a bit more than a, a one-game suspension. Um, it, the loss it matters. I mean, he's a starter. Um, Sean Savoy is his backup at the slot position, and, and he, you know, for as bad as Maryland's pass game was, um, he did catch uh, like a 15-yard pass against Penn State, so. You know, maybe he he could help there, but but I think in general the receiver group has a lot of depth, and and there are a lot of options. It, you know, Dante Dimas is at the top right now, but but there really hasn't been someone who's broken away as the number one guy. Um, so so I think there there are options. There there is depth at that position, but again, when you lose a starter, I mean that's the guy who's been taking most of the first team reps the first three weeks of the season. I think there's always going to be a little bit. Uh, of a worrisome drop off there, but um but I I think there isn't too much concern with the options as long as Josh Jackson
1: is playing well. Last one, Emily, you know both teams coming off big losses to two of the big ten elites obviously and Rutgers uh just fired their head coach. Both teams need to get back on track. (laughs) Who do you think comes out with a victory on Saturday?
2: Um so I guess I think I wouldn't be surprised if Rutgers and, and, like, maybe people think I'm crazy for saying that. But <laughs>
1: we've,
2: we've seen weird things happen, like, when coaches get fired and interims take over, you know. Um, and then maybe that kind of throws a little bit of game plan stuff, like, out the window um, in terms of, like, Maryland trying to prepare. Um, so, I, I personally wouldn't be surprised, but but I, I think Maryland is going to be okay and end up winning. Um, if I had to put, like, a score on it, maybe I'd say, like, 35 to. 10 or 42 to 10 or you know something solid win but also not not a a
1: complete blowout maryland athletics reporter for the washington post emily giambalvo emily thank you so much for the time and for coming on to talk maryland football thanks for having me i want to thank emily and steve for coming on the podcast and i think what we learned from emily is that we don't know which maryland team rutgers will face on saturday Will we see the Maryland team that averaged over 70 points per game the first two games? Or will we see the Maryland team that scored 17 points combined in the last two and lost 59-0 to Penn State last weekend? On the other side, you know, Steve and I hold the same opinion that Greg Schiano should be the guy that ultimately leads this program. He's done it before. He knows New Jersey. He knows how to recruit and he knows how to win at Rutgers. Frankly, you can't say that really about anyone else, especially that last statement. Going back to what's worked isn't bad, folks, it's not. I know a lot of people think it is, but it really isn't. We know what he can do, we've seen what he can do. It shocks me at times why so many are afraid to see him leading this program for a second time. Look, at the end of the day, all we want is a winner and a program we can be proud of. Whoever is brought in as head coach, I as well as everyone listening will support them and wish them nothing but success. Realize that whether you agree with me or not, it's okay to have differing opinions. You know, there's plenty of them on Twitter and on the message boards. I see them every day. Nobody, and I mean nobody, is more or less of a fan just because you disagree or agree with what I say. Like I said, we just want a team that goes out there and competes, a team that goes out there and wins. I'm not asking for Big Ten titles out of the gate. Obviously, that's going to take time. I'm just asking for progress on the field and hopefully each and every year progress in the wins column. We just want to see success. You know, it was here once with Greg Schiano, and it could be here again. But regardless of who it is, just remember to support that guy. Because whoever is the next leader, they have the same goals as we all do. They want to bring success and they want to bring joy to Rutgers fans everywhere, every Saturday